Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So before we introduce, he's on mute right now because we, we, have, we still we have the say, mic. We can say whatever you're, we want. You're you one minute early, right? But uh, uh, <laughs> no, you Larry, go. why don't you introduce Jeff in it's a Jeff. way that right, so. uh, gives us some context to a lot of uh, sure. watchers so and listeners. Actually, what I like about Jeff is he's done this before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jeff's another one of our OG guests who has actually been on the podcast as well. We followed him early before his game and knew the Distant Light was uh, fully out or announced. He let us see a little bit about it behind the scenes. And then we went with him again to do another podcast to talk about how far along it had gotten. All while still helping students learn about game development and game design and being a professor. And I'm not going to steal all his thunder, but this man does a lot. He multitasks just as much, if not more, than Brandon himself, who is running the stream. And also doing all the graphics and the motions and getting the guests. So you guys should have a multitask competition at the end of this. Um, I believe. No, that's all right. <laughs> He's like, Larry, I'm already in one with somebody else. That's why that's how I see good multitasking. Mr. Spoonhauer, welcome to GDUX, man. Hey guys, good to, good to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me to be a part of this great yeah, event. Your, your back wall of achievements. Yeah, right he, there. he did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Like he angled the camera in such a way. He's like, oh, I can't, just, yeah, oh, I can't fit all my yeah. trophies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know how we normally do like the resume part? He's yeah, just going to like. Yeah, it's like, we're just right here. So here I'll just step aside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I, it's also worth noting I, I knew Jeff over 10 years ago. We worked at 2K together on Bioshock 2, and he was the everything guy you you joke about the multitasking this dude does everything on the art side he was a cinematic guy but he was doing animation 3d art which is a lot what he's doing right now on a new the distant light which is what your game is doing yeah. so with us taking your time any further your no the floor is yours man go ahead and get into it awesome great well yeah thanks again for having me uh it has been a while since uh you guys first interviewed me and yes we are still working on the same game um, and we're doing really well, but, um, but yeah, basically, um, what I want to do today is talk a little bit about my experiences working full-time in independent game development. Um, so that's essentially what my talk is about. So we'll go to the next slide and, uh, tell you a little bit about myself. Who am I? Uh, been working in games for, believe it or not, 17 years now, uh, which is a pretty, pretty long haul. Um, and I've been really fortunate because I've been able to work in a variety of roles at, a, at many different studios. So currently I'm an art director on my indie game, which is a new The Distant Light. And what that means, I'll talk a little bit about later, is basically I do a million different things, kind of uh, what Brandon was alluding to. But um, yeah, art director now. In the past, I've worked as a cinematic artist, as an animator, video editor, and um, sound designer. And some of the studios that I've worked at are Electronic Arts. Actually, started my career at um, EA Tiburon down in Orlando, Florida, in 2002. Uh, worked at uh, THQ Volition for a few years. Worked at 2K in the San Francisco Bay Area for about five or six years. Um, those are my those are what are like my major full time 
like salary jobs. And then I've done lots of um, freelance work for the past 10 or 11 years on and off for Sony, Sony Interactive, uh, mainly with the team in Bend, Oregon. And um, some of the like the bigger games series that I've worked on have been in the Bioshock series, Borderlands, um, Uncharted, uh, worked on one of the Saints Row games. And you can see some of those titles off um, on my little presentation on my slide on the right there. Uh, so that's sort of like what I was doing in AAA for quite a long time. And then since 2014, I've been working full time on my indie game, my first indie game, which is called A New The Distant Light. Uh, with my dev partner, uh, who's the game director. His name is Steve Copeland. And so we have a really small team. I'll be talking about that in my presentation. Uh, a small team of two, plus uh, our composer. We have a really wonderful, amazingly gifted composer named Wilbert Roger, Will Roger, who's uh, scoring our game. Um, but really, that's about it, 2.5 uh, human beings making our game. Um, in addition to all the game stuff, I'm also, uh, as Brandon mentioned, I'm a professor at the University of Notre Dame. So I actually live in all the way up in north north central Indiana. So Steve and I, my my dev partner and I, actually work remotely on our game. Um, but yeah, so I'm uh, been a professor at Notre Dame for seven years, and I teach courses in digital production, 3D digital production, and Maya. I teach sound and music design, and I also teach. Um, animation history and practice. So like storyboarding, visual storytelling, stuff like that. Um, so that's uh, in a nutshell, sort of who I am. All right, so as far as um, my the topics that I'm gonna specifically be hitting on today, um, I really wanna just give some practical advice on getting started in indie game development. Um, and this isn't like theoretical stuff, this is all based on personal experience. So Steve and I have been working on our game um, for almost five years full time. So it's been a long haul. So I really want to share a lot of the things that we've learned um, over the course of production. And also, um, probably even more importantly, some of the challenges that we faced. And if you're planning on making an indie game, you will probably face many of these challenges as well. We've talked with lots of indie devs, and we all have uh, similar sort of challenges that we're dealing with. Um, so hopefully I'll inspire and educate some of you that are watching. Some of you may be students or um, hobbyist game developers or current studio people, um, people that have full-time game dev jobs who are thinking about um, making the switch, making the title of my talk, the Making the Leap of Faith. Uh, so those are my goals for today. Okay, um, I actually just watched uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade with my oldest child for the first time this weekend. And I thought this is like the perfect image to use for this discussion about uh, making a big change in your life to switching over to independent game development. So there's my Indiana Jones uh, reference. Um, anyway, so let's talk about this leap of faith. Why did I personally take the leap of faith from... Uh, working in AAA games. So I had like a really good career going as a senior level games artist. Um, the last full-time job that I had was at 2K, uh, working as a cinematic artist and a video editor, um, animator on a variety of projects. Had a really good salary, I had benefits, I had a pretty decent bonus, completion bonuses. Um, and I was also very unusually working remotely. Um, so I was, I was able to get 2K to allow me to work remotely from the Midwest, which was amazing because it was a very easy place to live, right? Very inexpensive. So every time I went back to 2K, my uh, coworkers would give me a hard time about how I was 
uh, living in a really cheap part of the country compared to Marin County. Um, so I had a really good thing going, but I think the main reason why um, I decided to leave is I had this sort of growing sense of uh, unease creatively. Um, and I, I think that's a pretty common thing with artists, especially who have been working in uh, on studio projects and essentially working on other people's um, visions, right? So for at the time, 12 years, I had been working on other people's creative ideas, other people's visions, executing their ideas and sort of being a yes man, uh, which in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that because that's what you're getting paid to do is to execute someone else's vision. But basically, I had I had my own ideas that had been brewing for a long time. I had been develop working really hard to develop my skills, um, my artistic skills, my communication skills, uh, leadership. I'd been in a number of leadership positions. So I felt I, I had this really strong calling to basically do my own thing. Um, so another thing that worked out really well is I ended up um, getting my full-time uh, teaching job offer from Notre Dame in 2012. So that was a very unique sort of opportunity for me that uh, I'll, I'll be talking about a little bit later when we talk about uh, finances, plan planning out your financial life. Um, but I, essentially I had a full-time um, sal teaching salary and had benefits and stuff. I have a wife, I have three kids. Um, so it was sort of a combination of uh, what I have on, on the screen is creative soul drain, uh, not soul train, soul drain, um, and my teaching job coming together. And then, you know, I think like, if you want to get into independent games development, uh, development, you're essentially going to be an entrepreneur, entrepreneur. So you have to have like this very strong, um, uh, leaning towards adventure, right? Stepping into the unknown, into realms that you've never explored before. Uh, not only creatively, but from a business development standpoint, uh, marketing, PR, there's just a million things that you have to do that uh, you probably have, I had never done before. So I just said, you know what, what the heck? I didn't want to have any regrets. And I know that your previous speaker was mentioning about not having re regrets as well. I had the same thing. I said, you know what, I feel like this is the right time. I've got all my skills, everything's in place. Why not just go for it? So that's the reason why I took um, the leap of faith. And what I want to sort of ask the viewers, the, the folks on Twitch who are watching, who are thinking about doing this is, why do you want to make an indie game? What are your motivations? So I think it's really important to step back and give serious thought to this. All right, so I've got a couple things listed out. Fortune and Glory, another um, Indiana Jones reference. Um, you know, if you want to make a lot of money and become famous and live in a mansion like Notch does, right? Because he was an indie game developer, right? Um, I suggest definitely pursuing another career uh, because you're probably um, not gonna make a lot of money making indie games, at least not on the first go around. Um, making indie games is incredibly challenging. And the thing is, is you'll receive very little in the way of um, like financial compensation, rewards, any accolades, um, along the way until you get like really close to the end and you know you've got something really good and you're thinking about shipping or until really after you've shipped your game and it's really good, like world-class, then all of those things could potentially come your way, like some um, some financial gain, some you know uh, people knowing who you are, I guess, in the industry. But if that's what your main goal is, I would, I would probably not suggest making an indie game. Um, but if you're, if you're really into it for personal growth, to learn a lot, to challenge yourself, 
um, to see what's possible, to see what you're actually capable of achieving. Um, and if you have like this really strong creative vision for a game and you feel like, damn it, you know, like if I don't do this, I, I just, I cannot live another day. Um, if you have sort of that burning passion and desire within within you, I think I think making an indie game is something you should consider because you're really going to need to use every ounce of knowledge and skill and really fortitude uh, to complete your game to make it to the finish line. So I would suggest that any of you thinking about doing this really give a lot of thought to those um, to what your motivations are. Okay, um, so sizing yourself up. Uh, um, I was looking for images for my presentation and I just saw those two and I'm like, I think, and the funny thing is, is there's really nice green grass on the top one. So I think a lot of, uh, especially studio developers think, you know, the grass is greener literally on the other side. So I want to leave and make an indie game. So that's how you sort of imagine yourself waking up in your, um, you know, working in your underwear in your home office every day, the look of relaxation. But in reality, you're going to be more like the, uh, the woman on the bottom there. Um, but anyway, what I want to talk about is sort of taking a good hard look at yourself and sizing yourself up um, before you take the leap of faith into independent game development. Um, and the first thing, the first question to sort of ask yourself is, are you a hobbyist or a pro? Are you a hobbyist or a pro game developer? So if you're a hobbyist, you're making games for fun um, or for a learning exercise. You know, maybe you're doing it um, on, uh, at night or on the weekends you're putting in a couple hours a week, but it's like a part-time thing. And your full-time job is uh, your focus in life is basically something else. Um, if you're a pro, you're doing game development in some fashion full-time. So you're either doing it as a full-time job. Um, maybe you're a student at a university um, in, a, in a game or an animation program. Um, but when you think of yourself as a pro, it's like you're working on this stuff religiously. Your end goal is to make and finish a game and actually release it commercially to uh, an audience of people who will actually play it and uh, you know, give you feedback, whether that's good or bad. You're putting something into the world. You're making yourself vulnerable. So you have to sort of ask yourself, are, uh, am I a hobbyist or am I a pro? And then once you've answered that question, you can set your expectations accordingly. Uh, so what exactly does that mean? Um, you know, if you're a hobbyist, actually, that's I think that's fine. You just have to realize that um, the chances of of creating a game that's going to go on Steam and sell hundreds of thousands of copies to critical and commercial acclaim is probably going to be really slim, just because the competition is really uh, extremely tight, right? In this in this space. Um, and this is honestly even really hard to achieve as a professional game developer. But if you're a pro, um, you know, <laughs> I wish I could say like there, it's going to be easier because you have a, a wider set of skills or more experience or something. But honestly, even if you're a pro developer and you're trying to make an indie game, the chances of finding success are pretty, um, uh, pretty, pretty slim. Um, because you're sort of facing uphill challenges every step of the way, whether it's with development or, uh, you know, just trying to do your, your daily work. But there's all this other stuff like marketing and PR and business development and legal stuff, going to trade shows, you know, trying to just get people to, to notice what you're doing. Each one of those steps along the, along the path is really tough. So that's what I mean by set your expectations accordingly. If you're a hobbyist, you're probably not going to make a lot of money. If you're a pro, there's a little bit more of a chance that you may, you know, uh, make some money someday. 
And uh, what are your, the next point is what are your skills and strengths? Um, be honest with yourself. You want to identify what are you actually good at? Um, you know, if you're a student right now, maybe you're not good at anything uh, or at very little. And I think that's actually okay because that's why you are a student. You are working hard to get good at something or a few things. Um, but if you're a pro or if you're a hobbyist, look at yourself and say, hey, am I, if you're like a brilliant programmer, but you can't draw a stick figure, um, you're going to need to uh, find an artist to work with on your project. Or let's say you're like a really talented modeler or concept artist. Um, you're going to need to find uh, an artist, uh, an animator and a programmer, you know, bare, bare minimum. So you want to be honest with yourself and basically um, say, what, what am I, what are my skills? And then you say, okay, I need to find at least one other person to complement my skill set. These are like the first sort of steps that you want to take when you're thinking about making an indie game. Um, and then really what you want to do is uh, try to put together a team, right? Which sounds like it should be a really simple thing to do, but actually building a team is really, building a team with complementary skill sets as your own is a really difficult thing. And actually, you know, heck, the, challenge, the challenges of making a game start before you've even, begin before you've even started making your game. Um, and I've actually talked to quite a few uh, friends who are at the studios who want to make a game. And they're like, well, I can't find anybody who wants to, you know, these, my friends all have kids and stuff. And uh, like, none of them are going to leave their full-time job to work on an indie game for three or four years without any pay. So building that team, you, you really need to keep your team small, as small as possible. Um, but you also need to find that other partner or partners for your development that are really committed, are as committed as you are. Um, I would highly suggest avoiding working with people who are only able to work on an indie game on the weekends because your, your game is never going to finish. Um, so don't rush into that, you know, find someone who's really committed, keep your team small, you'll move faster. It'll be easier to communicate and actually get your job done if you keep your team small. Um, and then lastly, uh, you know, before you go decide to go indie, you want to get as much professional experience as possible. Um, and when I say professional experience, that really means working at any job. So like get out of your parents' basement. <laughs> if you're currently living there, you gotta, you have to take steps into being an adult um, in some way, shape or form. So any job that you can get that's in an office, working with other people where you are uh, learning how to actually do work to actually start something and complete it on time, uh, learning how to set goals and hitting your goals, um, learning how to communicate with other people, learning how to just be a really good person. Um, all of those things you learn in a professional environment. So I would highly recommend, you know, if some of you are in high school and you're like, you know, the heck with this, I'm just going to make my indie game. If you've got a great idea, go for it. But the more professional experience, the more uh, adulthood you experience, the better, the better positioned you will be to make a game and actually be able to finish it. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about is risk mitigation, which sounds like a really boring topic that you would be forced to go to uh, by your HR department or something like that. But this is actually really important. Um, and, you know, chasing down your dream to make an indie game is all fine and good. Um, but you really need, again, I keep saying be an adult. Uh, and I know there are a lot of adults watching this right now, but you have to sort of be an adult and consider um, a few really important things um, associated with like risk, you know, making sure that you're not doing something stupid or irres irresponsible, especially if you have a family. Um, 
And you want to make sure that this decision is going to be a feasible one on a few levels. Um, and a lot of this actually has to do with money, which is unfortunate, but you do need uh, money to survive and to make a game. So uh, you need to make sure essentially that you have enough of a financial um, nest egg to draw from if you're thinking about making uh, an indie game. Because you're probably not going to have much time if you're really focused on your game. You're not going to have a lot of time for part-time jobs or freelance jobs. Or, of course, you won't be able to have another full-time job if you're really serious about making a game. Um, and remember, the other thing you have to keep in mind is some people try to do freelance and make an indie game. But the problem is, is the more time that you're spending on those other things, the less time you're spending on your game. <clears throat> which means there's... a uh, much higher chance of you never finishing that indie game, which is what you are, what you want to do in the first place. So you have to sort of, it's sort of a balancing act. But I would, I would recommend that you find a way to just commit to that your indie game and really focus on doing that one thing. Um, so the most basic question is, you know, how much money will you need? How much money are you going to need? So one thing that I really recommend that I did a long time ago when I first started doing freelance full time. Um, in between my studio jobs was make a detailed monthly personal budget. So that basically means look at every single expense that you have every single month. All right. So that includes uh, groceries. It includes, um, you know, your rent or your mortgage payment, uh, ut your utilities, utility bills, uh, health insurance, education costs for your kids, eating out, clothing, all of the things that you pay for on a regular basis. Track all of that put together a monthly budget, and then multiply that times 12 months. All right, and that's how much money you need to make to survive in a year. Um, the other thing that you need to do is create an estimated game production budget. So this is a little trickier because you've never made a game before. Um, but really, you need to sort of think about, you know, what are my costs going to be for software licenses for like Unity or Maya or Unreal, um, uh, Visual Studio, uh, hardware, computers, monitors, um, dev kits, uh, you know, lots of other things like big, big ticket items like hiring someone to help you to make the game, paying subcontractors, um, paying for travel to trade shows, um, hiring lawyers, all of that kind of stuff. So basically put those two budgets together. And then if you want to sort of approach this responsibly, you really want to make sure that you have, before you start your indie game, if you plan on funding your game from personal savings, which I think a lot of first-time indie devs do, you want to make sure that you have conservatively a year worth of um, money saved up to, to cover that personal budget and to cover that game production budget. So save your money up uh, is some advice that I would give. Make sure you have a year of those savings set aside. Um, but there's... Uh, many other sources of, uh, of funding that you can come up with to, to make your indie game. The most conservative way of doing it is what I just said, personal savings. Um, you can take a part-time job if you absolutely have to. Um, just make sure you're balancing out those hours with the time you need to put in on your game. Um, another very popular one is uh, use the money that your husband or wife or significant other is earning um, to support your, uh, your dream of making an indie game. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, so if your husband or wife is making, boyfriend, girlfriend is making, has a job, then great. If, they, if you guys can afford to pay those bills, wonderful. Uh, gifts from family. You're not going to be able to make an entire game based on, uh, you know, Christmas cards from your grandmother, but um, it helps. 
Uh, another one is crowdfunding. So we were kickstarted in 2017. And while we didn't make you know nearly enough money to actually fund the entire production, we did make enough to help offset some of those costs. Um, uh, personal savings I talked about. And then of course, you know, working with a publisher is another way to get, um, to get money to make your game. The thing with, with publishers is that you have to have something that's absolutely world-class um, as far as the quality of what you're showing in your game or else publishers aren't gonna be interested. Um, uh, most publishers get you know, anywhere between a th- over 1,000, 1,500 pitches um, I have heard from publishers that we have talked to. Um, they, they'll get 1,000 pitches a year and maybe work with five or six games. So it's extremely competitive to get money from a publisher to make a game. Um, lastly, as far as risk mitigation, and you know, this could be um, an entire other uh, talk, is basically limiting the scope of your game. Um, so I know that you probably want to include every amazing idea you've ever had for a video game. You want to put that in your first indie game. Um, but you want to try to just keep the scope of your game as small as possible while still um, realizing the, your vision of what you want to accomplish. But, um, you know, the, the bigger your game gets, and the scope always gets bigger on everybody's game, but the bigger your scope gets, the more people you're going to need to make it. Um, the more time you're going to need, the more money you're going to need, and all of this sort of compounds into you probably never finishing your game. So you want to think really hard about like your design and your scope before you get started. Okay, so let's get into a section on uh, major challenges, because there are many. Um, there's actually too many challenges to include in this one talk, so I've tried to uh, narrow it down to some of the um, major ones that we have faced in the production of our game. Um, one of the biggest challenges we definitely face that Steve and, and I uh, face on a day-to-day basis is we're just wearing many hats. So what that means is um, because there's only two of us making the game, we sort of each wear the hat of probably 10 full-time employees on a studio project. So I'm essentially the entire art department, sound design department, storytelling department, marketing and PR department. So I do all of the jobs of all of those people. And then on the other side, Steve does all of the engineering stuff, all of the tools development, coding, AI, gameplay, um, design, right? So what that means is that we're constantly not only wearing a lot of hats, but we're switching them rapidly um, on a daily or hourly basis sometimes. So um, for example, maybe I'm doing some character animation, which is an intensely, it's a really intense pr- uh, process that requires a lot of focus. I'll be animating a character, I'm in the zone, and then I'll get an email from a YouTube streamer who wants to play our um, demo, and they need a reply from us within the next 15 minutes. So I have to sort of drop everything I'm doing and put on my marketing and PR hat, get back with them, get them a, a build through Steam, you know, make sure they're all set up, and then an hour later I'll come back to my animation and I'll, I'll have no idea what I was doing. I don't, I don't remember anything. So that happens a lot when you're an indie dev, you're switching hats a lot, which is, makes it hard to focus. Um, I think probably one of the biggest challenges and one that's really, really hard to um, express until you've gone through this process is just really how much you have to sacrifice um, in your personal and professional life to make an indie game. Uh, It's just, it requires a tremendous amount of dedication and passion. Um, And when I say passion, I'm not losing, using it like in dedication, like loosely, I'm talking about actually sacrificing things that you would like to do like reading books or playing games or watching movies or going to your kids events or just going out to eat dinner with your wife. 
um, or, or husband or wife or whatever, lots of micro sacrifices that build up over the course of years, because you just have to put in so many hours in the production of your game. Um, oftentimes six or seven days a week, um, especially with a small team. Um, so, you know, the other thing that has happened with myself and, and Steve, we, we've discussed about this, uh, discussed this is that you'll get a job offers, you know, like when you're making an indie game, you may get an offer from Ubisoft to be an animator or, a you know, EA to be a game designer on an amazing project. And you have to stick to your guns and say, no, I can't, I can't do this. So we've both turned down full time and some really lucrative offers along the way. And that's a huge sacrifice. Um, Work-life balance is, you know, the constant challenge for someone in all aspects of game development, whether it's independent games or um, studio development, work-life balance is super um, tricky to pull off. Um, and actually it probably gets worse when you're making an indie game because you're at home, it's like really isolated and you want to work on your game all the time because it's your baby. Uh, being a masterful jack of all trades. Um, that's sort of a little term that I have uh, that I've, I don't know. I don't know if I made it up, but um you know, you've all, you've probably heard the term jack of all trades. That means sort of like being a generalist, being good at lots of, you know, being sort of good at a lot of things, but not really good at, at, at any of them. When you're working on an indie game with a small team, you have to sort of be a masterful jack of all trades. So you have to be able to do everything that's required on a production extremely well and be able to do it really efficiently and really fast. So this sort of goes back to my point before about getting ex as much experience as possible. I feel like I would never be able to do what I'm doing now and to have made it as far as we have with our game without those many years of working in sort of high pressure, high stress, AAA game development um, environments. Um, so that's, it, it's a tough thing and it just takes a lot of practice, you know, to get to that point. Um, scheduling is extremely hard and the unknown unknown things is what does that mean? Well, as an indie game developer, essentially you're an inventor and as an inventor, you're making new things that you've never made. Um, and you're doing lots of things that you've probably never done in your career. Um, and that certainly has been the case for myself and, and for Steve, we have to do all sorts of new stuff all the time and step out of our comfort zones. And those are the unknown unknowns. So essentially that means we don't know what we don't know. So we don't, we don't know what challenges are coming next until they hit us because we've never done this before. And then it's essentially impossible to schedule those things because um, you just don't know how long it's going to take to do them. So I think that's one, one really high level reason why it takes independent games so long to come out is because we're new to it a lot of times. And unless you're making a game in a genre that you've worked on before, you're just going to run into a mountain of these unknown unknowns. And it's just, it's so hard to make a schedule because of that. And then just the sheer amount of work um, is sort of like this unending amount of work that you're, you're um, you have to chip away at uh, fortuitously all the time and just sort of like be really persistent and really strong with your convictions about getting your day-to-day -day work done. Perhaps the um, number one uh, enemy for indie game devs is where we currently are in the market um, in, the, in 2019 is discoverability. Um, and that basically just means like standing out from the crowd and in, in an extremely overcrowded market. And you can see that image. That's sort of how indie developers making their first games feel. It's that little guy in the back there. Um, you know, unless you've shipped a game and you have a built-in audience, 
you know, you've, you've shipped a really great, shipped a really great game and you have a built-in audience and your marketing, a lot of your marketing is done for you now on your first game. It's really, really hard to get that, um, get eyeballs on your, on your project. There's just, because, you know, the barriers for entry to game development are so low now, um, the tools to make games are cheap, fairly cheap. There's an, there's, there's actually probably too much learning, too many learning materials online. You know, you can, there's a million YouTube videos um, and paid tutorial services to, to learn game development. So anybody can sort of go out and start to learn. So that means that the, there's just a million games that are being flooded into the market. Um, so what can we do to sort of combat this? The hardest thing, but the most important thing to do is you just have to make an awesome game. And I wish that there was some magic advice that I could give to say, this is how, these are like the five things that you do to make an awesome game. But that's something that you have to sort of discover for yourself through hard work and through experience. But really what it comes down to is everything starts here. You know, if you don't give it your all and execute um, the hell out of your concept, uh, nothing else really matters. And obviously this, that's the hardest thing to do, but you really have to just make something special um, to, get, to get attention. Uh, the next bullet point is execution is more important than ideas. What does that what does that mean? So, really, like what you actually produce and what you make in your game is much more important than sort of like these theoretical or conceptual story ideas or lore ideas that you have in the back of your head. Because, um, sort of like sort of like they say in Hollywood, everybody's got a script. Um, it's sort of the same thing um, in game development. Everybody has an idea for this epic uh, ten part. Um, online role-playing FPS lore rich fantasy sci-fi game everybody has like binders full of ideas but what few people have is sort of like the skills and the work ethic to actually make it into something and to finish it and to ship it um, so execution is a lot more important than ideas so having sort of the moxie to to make your game and finish it is is the hard part um, but that's how you get discovered um, doing something unique you know, I think when you're conceptualizing your game, when you're working on your design docs, when you're um, coming up with your ideas, at least one or two things have to be unique in your game, uh, whether it's like gameplay mechanics or visuals, story. You have to do something unique or nobody's going to care. So focus on those things early on and make sure you have a plan to make them really unique and special. Um, the next thing, early social media and press outreach. Once you have... Um, a game that looks a little vertical slice or something or a demo that looks good, get your website up, get your Twitter site going, get your Facebook site going. Start reaching out to some smaller and mid-sized gaming websites. Show them what you're doing. Your trailer is absolutely the most important um, calling card for your game and that, that throughout development. So make a trailer, get all your stuff up on social media, start emailing websites and saying, hey, this is this cool game we're making. But don't wait until the end of development. Do that at the beginning. And then lastly, um, apply to trade shows and festivals. Um, things like uh, Indie Megabooth, IndieCade, um, PAX, the IGF, uh, lots of places where you can apply. They're adjudicated, so um, they're, they're curated, so you have to sort of compete with other developers. But this is a really great way to get your game discovered by people in business development, by publishers, by media. Um, just a couple months ago, we uh, a new our game was at um, GDC and PAX East with the Indie Mega Booth, and we also have shown it at E3 over the past year. We're um, actually bringing it to E3 again next week. 
Um, but we, we've met tons of great people. Um, we've built relationships with the consoles. Um, publishers are interested in our game as a result of these shows. So that these are just some sort of concrete ways of getting people to find out what you're doing. But again, it all starts with a really great game. So what it comes down to is just doing a lot of work and being really committed to your project. And that's sort of like where I'm ending my presentation is essentially you have to just make your game. No one is stopping you from making your game. So jump in, learn the tools, um, make those sort of calculate, take those calculated risks, think about your finances, think about the scope of your game. And then when you're ready, make the jump responsibly and then just do a lot of work. You have to work really hard and be persistent. Um, so that's, yeah, that's pretty much my advice for my talk. And, uh, yeah. Oh, man. I've, I've learned so much about indie games. In so, so, so much truth bombs, dude. I, I can't take <laughs> it. But you, you cover pretty much every question I ever had in my bone about indie development because you, you went the pretty much like, I wouldn't even say the safer route. I wouldn't even consider the safe route, but like you, you, you were able right. to kind of uh, leverage it as a side thing as well as, you know, focusing on a stable income at the same time, which is. I, I say would be the most advisable thing to most developers out there. Only a rare gem percentage would be able to just completely thrive off their savings, right? Like Richard Lico. Yeah. I mean, in the previous, uh, that guy was insane. Uh, but like, uh, uh, I think the safer route and the most realistic route has always been, you know, prove yourself, get some uh, traction. Uh, before you even make the crazy jump, but that is in return a longer, mm. a longer path, but a surer path. Yeah, they say don't quit your day job. Don't quit your day job. <laughs> Do it on the side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't tell you how many I've just been contacted by many senior level people at studios who are like, "Man, I really like you're living the dream. <laughs> you're like you're making an indie game, but it's like, how do you think, oh, think you got on the podcast in the first place?" <laughs> <laughs> Hey, man. Like, hey, a lot man. Of, a lot of, <laughs> when you're an indie dev, a lot of times you're like, the dream is just like having a normal job again where you could just go in from nine to six or whatever. Um, that, so that is, I don't know. What that, 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 that's like the grass is greener on the other side. But I, I think in reality, yeah. if you had to trade it off every other day yeah. and kind of get reminded yeah. how the office is like, uh, you, you're, you're fastly going to remember that. It's it's not that great. I, I think there's like a, a yeah. small amount of both that I look forward to. So I will say this. If you take responsibilities and finances off the table yeah. and then just say to a person, indie experience or like big AAA experience or, you know, what sort of like work environment would you look for? Mm -hmm. Me personally, I would go indie. I want like mm -hmm. a small team of like 12. We all know each other personally. Go out to lunch. Like like I, I get Christmas cards from you guys. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's a certain team size where that kind of starts to break down. And mm -hmm. it's maybe like your small group or your team kind of has that real deep interpersonal relationship. But when you go into like the team meeting, it's like, and you see this sea of people, you know, you're yeah. not going to send all those guys Christmas cards. You're not going to hang out with all those guys. <laughs> you yeah. know them. You have like little chit chat with everybody. So I always ask people like, okay, well, take money and responsibility off because like obviously, well, whichever one pays the bills usually will be the first answer. But yeah. I say take that part take of it out. Take all the things that matter. Yes. Like, <laughs> which which work environment is better for you? Which do you think you would thrive of and course. enjoy more? Because you can make money in both if you do it right. If you do it right. If you, you give it, right. it a time. It's a skill set. I think uh, the best way to put it is like you're restarting your career, right? You're rebuilding it yeah. uh, as a junior level indie developer, right? That's really what it is. Even with 
with 10 plus years under your belt, all the, the best practices and networking, you going out there on your own, learning biz dev, learning to wear different hats, learning to micromanage and uh, macromanage and going out there and, and going to all these shows and building all the demo. You're t- doing so much within your traditional eight hour day. Uh, It's really, uh, you gotta be really on your toes to be able to do all that. And you really are starting from the beginning again. And I think a lot of people make the mistake to not think like that, to think I've been doing this 10 plus years. I know what I'm doing. So I Yeah, I think another, I'm sorry. I was gonna say that's a really good point. Uh, Both really good points. And I think to your point, Brandon, especially some of us who have been working in the industry for a long time, who have worked on big projects, we may have a chip on our shoulder and say, oh, well, I worked on, you know, the Bioshock games, or I worked on an Uncharted. Honestly, like, it, that doesn't, unfortunately, carry a ton of weight because people just, people are pretty harsh, you know? <laughs> they just want to see your game. They want to see what are you doing? What do you have to offer? You know, are you making a world-class indie game? That's much more important than sort of your, your history in the industry. So I'd uh, like to take a question straight from the Twitch audience. Uh, it says, the Frozen Machine is asking, curious if Jeff has any advice about applying to those events that are curated. I feel like those sometimes are hard to apply places, knocking the door because you're so scared. So like, do you have any advice on like, hey, I, I do want to go to this place or I do want to go and give a talk here or do something like grand. I probably don't have the resume for right now. I guess maybe any advice on pepping yourself up and doing it anyway? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to the sort of where you are with your with your game that you're working on. So I think your game has to be in pretty po- a pretty polished state before you attempt to apply to things like Indie Mega Booth, um, which is I, I think probably one of the the best and most well run uh, indie game showcases. But yeah, I think like you just have to be really patient and work really hard on your game to get it to a point where it looks really great and it plays well. And maybe you've even had some friends play it. You've sort of had some some testing done on it and they're like, yeah, this is this is really cool. When you get to that point, I think that's when it's advisable to start submitting to those shows. Um, a lot of people, I think, we actually made the mistake of, uh, because we didn't know what we were doing, um, of submitting our game several years ago to those shows and we didn't get into any of them. Um, and the feedback was from from the uh, judges was like, this looks like it's going to be really cool. You're just too early on in the process. Work on it for another year or so and then come back. So that was actually three years ago when we did that. And then we came back and we've had a much better uh, success rate getting into these shows. So that's probably my, my best piece of advice would be your game's got to be looking and playing really well. Okay, uh, so we're going to start uh, changing the tempo a bit. Like Larry and I can ask questions all day and talk all day, as you know, Jeff. But we're not going to do that yeah. to you. Uh, we're going to take some Twitch questions. Again, if you're watching on Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, any of those platforms, we have Your our guys and gals in there. Yes, moderators that are scoping your questions and dropping it for us to ask on live. So uh, spend the time. You have a question for Jeff. This is a rare opportunity to talk to a professional such as he. Uh, so this is a question from Annabeth Margaret Swan. Uh, is it possible okay. to have a contingency plan, though? Can't a veteran that makes a jump into any go back to AAA if he thinks that's not working? Do you think they will take you back, Jeff? That's the question. Yeah, that's a great question. And the answer is essentially yes. Uh, 
I want to be encouraging with my talk and inspiring, but many indie developers have failed and have gone back to full-time jobs, which I think is actually great. Because you can't just work on an indie game and if it fails, it's like your life is over. You know, you, you, you definitely have to have some sort of plan in place, right? Um, so yes, I know many people that have tried doing independent development and for whatever reason to have decided not to. Um, and I think the key is when you plan to leave your studio or whatever job it is that you have, make sure that you leave on really good terms with your managers, with your bosses, with the other leads at the company. Yes. <laughs> because you just uh, yeah. <laughs> so Brandon, it sounds like has already violated that. Uh, I go uh, out guns blazing uh, to see. Yeah, some people really like to be dramatic yeah, about so. it, but I have I have known many people that have left and then come back even years later. Um, as long as you leave on good terms with your company, yeah, you're probably going to be fine. Yep. And I don't know, like me personally, I would probably, yeah, I would probably look for full-time freelance work again if I needed to. All right, next question I got for you, I believe from the same person. So lucky day for you, uh, asking good questions. So what's the path to becoming an art director? Uh, is it like you need to know multiple disciplines or is there a specific path or what? Yeah, that's a good question. It's kind of like when people say, I want to be a movie director, how do I do that? <laughs> Uh, it's basically the same thing. I mean, like everybody wants to be a movie director. Um, I think what it is is, yeah, you have to just work your way up and work on lots of different projects with lots of different teams, Learn learning different pipelines and processes um, is one thing. But yeah, on the art side, I think like the, the broader your skill set is and sort of your experience doing, um, you know, doing concept art, doing animation, modeling, cinematography, lighting, the more you know about all of those different uh, disciplines, the better, the much better art director you will be. Um, but, it, but another really important thing is leadership. So an art director isn't just someone who's like randomly telling someone to, you know, move that pixel that way or make that more blue, you know? A lot of it is managing people and trying to be inspirational and, and get, getting people what they need to get their jobs done. So I think that's why it takes so long to, to work up to a position like that. It just takes many years uh, of experience. Awesome. So the next question is for from uh, Nor Software. How to deal with an unsuccessful game? I mean, few sales. <laughs> what, what, corner, what corner do well, I call? Uh, after you, you pick yourself up, what's the first step? <laughs> yeah. We haven't launched our game yet. Uh, obviously, we hope that it will be successful. Everybody hopes their game will be successful. Um, I guess we'll, I'll have to come on next year, and hopefully, I, I'll, I'll say I don't know because it was successful. Well, no, let's, I let's, think like okay. No, let's, say, let's create no, a, that's a totally fictional yeah. scenario. I'm sure you thought this yeah. through. Yeah, I think this. Apologize is a, to the wife, question. then the kids. <laughs> I don't think she's. I don't think she's there watching right now. <laughs> uh, most, you know, honestly, most games don't do that well, I mean, percentage-wise, uh, and it usually takes at least one or two games worth of experience to ship something that is you would consider a success. I think if you make a game and nobody buys it or nobody plays it, you, you can go in one of two ways. You either say, I'm going to chalk that up as a learning experience and I'm going to make another game and try and do better and try and improve upon whatever didn't go well. Or you sort of just say, 
I don't know that I want to do this again. Um, and I'm going to go back and just look for work doing something else. Maybe it's um, full-time studio work or freelance work. I hope that if you're in a situation where you make a game and it doesn't do as well as you want, you're not going to just throw in the towel. Uh, you will financially be able to make another one, you know, and get feedback is sometimes it hurts to get feedback, especially if your game doesn't do well, but you know, get um, feedback on forums on your game on, on, you know, steam reviews, YouTube streamers, like actually compile their feedback in a spreadsheet, list out the stuff that was good, list out the stuff that didn't go well, and then start thinking about, you know, maybe you support that game and try to improve it based on that feedback. Um, or you take that feedback and apply it to the next project that you're working on. But yeah, anytime a game doesn't do well, it is hard. It's tough. Well, thank God you'll never have personal experience there, but we appreciate that you tried. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> oh, man. Wishful thinking on your behalf. Uh, we love you, man. Yeah, that's right. So Pure Evil, back at it again. He's got a remix for us. Um, new question. Do you recommend specializing in one discipline, even when working in indie? Of course, you're going to be wearing multiple hats. But should you focus on making one of those your crown? I really like how mm. that was worded at the end. That's, well, well, well yeah. put. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure where you are right now. I think if you're trying to get your foot in the door in, in the games industry in general, I think you have to specialize in one or two things. You have to do one or two things really well on your portfolio to get to get a job. Um, if you currently are working in the games industry and you want to transition into independent games development, if you plan on having a small team, you really need to have, as an artist, a pretty broad skill set. Because if you don't, the practicality is, is you have to hire more people. So then you have to start hiring specialists to do the modeling or to do the animation, to do the rigging or whatever. So once you start doing that, your team becomes bigger. Um, communication becomes more difficult. Uh, splitting the pot, if you do make money on your game now, that money has to be shared across a larger group of people, which means each person makes less money to recoup, recoup their time. Um, so I would advise, uh, I mean, I think having a broad, being more of a generalist is probably is not a bad thing when it comes to doing independent game development because you can keep your team small is essentially what it comes down to, yeah. Um, but if you want to make an indie game and you're like a really good animator and you're terrible at everything else, go for it. You just need to bring other people on to help you out. Fred, you want to jump in? I think I got one for you. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's like, let me find it really quick. Hold let on. me find it real quick. <laughs> All right. Uh, let me actually ask this question because I'm curious about this one too. Don't um, act like somebody else wrote it. Just yeah. Just let me it. let me go with someone new here. <laughs> the sandwich games, right? This is from that person. Do you think it is better to start off in the indie field, or would it be better to try and get your feet wet in the AAA side of things? I yeah. I pretty much I pretty much always blanket recommend people get experience as much experience as you can. So if you are able to get a job at a studio, and it doesn't even have to be like a big triple-a game studio it can be doing small like mobile stuff it could be at like a small local game development studio doing like educational games or something any any experience you can have in a real production environment working on deadlines working with other people uh 
learning how to manage stress, all of that stuff is incredibly valuable um, when you take that leap into independent games development. That's the ideal situation. If that is not an option, and you just want to learn how to, like, you just download Unity and you want to start making a game and practicing with your buddy or whatever, go. I say go for it, especially if you have a good idea and you, you have that passion. Absolutely, yeah. So I'm going to jump in actually really quick. How long do you execute on a bad idea before you know it's a bad idea or you've, like... When do you know like when to pull the plug, especially in the beginning? You know, I see a lot of students that we talk to or a lot of early level developers who have great ideas and they start executing and executing mm -hmm. and executing. And a more seasoned vet kind of gives them the like, okay, good luck, you know, kind of response <laughs> to when they see something because they kind of know like you're probably going to be in for a rude awakening at some point. So I guess you as a more senior developer yourself, when do you kind of get to a point on an idea, on a mechanic, or just on anything that you're involved in where you're like, okay, I can clearly see that I need to pull the plug now. I guess what kind of uh, tools or decisions do you like go through or processes that you have to help identify those before you've gone too far down that track? Yeah. So the really short answer is as early as possible. <laughs> Like, I mean, you want to you wanna waste as little time as you possibly can. I know that's sort of a vague answer. Um, with us, with Steve and myself, I think we generally just use our gut. Like, if we're working on, um, let's say, uh, early on in our game, we had, like, a melee, like, a hand combat weapon, right, that you swing around. We worked on that for maybe a week, I think both of us. Like I was doing the art and the animation and Steve was working on the code. And we just realized like the focus of the, the combat in our game was gonna be was gonna be weapons, like projectile weapons. And the melee, it was like a it was like a club with like a rock on the end of it. It didn't look right, it didn't feel right, it didn't seem to fit into the larger design picture that we had we were working on. So we dropped it pretty early on. So maybe a week we worked on it. Um, for, but the thing is, like, what you want to try and do is learn something from that and use some of that knowledge to, uh, you know, to apply towards the rest of the project. So it's not completely wasted time. Um, but typically, like, yeah, a couple days, a week tops. Um, again, just because the, because it's a small, we're a small team and you just you can't waste any time uh, when you when you have a small team because the deadlines are so tight all the time when you're trying to, to make an indie game. So, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I've Where seen some. Go? I've visited some universities and seen some game ideas that were like in production, kind of like you were saying, Larry. And like some of them are too far in to to bail on. So you, you try to you know do the best with what you have uh, for sure. I think I got one last one for you, if uh, the stream will permit. Right. Uh, it looks like a pretty good one. And I think a lot of people would kind of And I have one more for myself. All right. All right, so my last one, Brandon's last one, then we'll let you go. We know you got students that you got to go teach. Uh, <laughs> I got a game to finish. <laughs> so the first yeah. machine comes back again. Uh, this time we're asking, what marketing strategies have worked for you? Twitter, Facebook, something else? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. What have you found to be the most successful? Yeah, getting yeah which one's trash? Other than the Game Dev Unchained podcast. <laughs> yeah. Other yeah, than that. Okay. <laughs> marketing is super, super hard. And the problem is, is like, I'm doing the marketing, right? That's usually what happens with small indie teams is someone just has to pick that, pick up that torch mm -hmm. because you don't either have the money or the time to direct an external marketing agency because you end up having to create marketing assets anyway for them to use. Mm -hmm. um, 
So that's, that's, again, is a whole other talk in and of itself. But for us, I, I would say that probably Twitter has been the best mm. as far as direct engagement with people that actually care about what you're doing. So they're not like bots. They're not just people randomly liking your page, but they're people that actually are interested in what you're doing and are commenting and sharing, your ga- sharing our game with their friends. I would say probably uh, Twitter comes out on top. Facebook second. Facebook has a huge problem where they're essentially forcing businesses to pay to get their message out to people that are following them anyway, which is sort of... Yeah, man. I have to be careful about what I say, but it's basically... It's called organic reach. So we have a a pretty limited following on Facebook. When I post, post something to our audience on Facebook generally we get 10% of our followers see our posts because Facebook throttles it back because they're basically forcing you to advertise every single one, to pay to advertise every single one of your posts. Um, So they're intentionally pulling that back. Um, So a lot of developers are actually just leaving Facebook because there's no point because nobody's seeing, uh, nobody's seeing our posts. That's terrible. Um, So Twitter and then, yeah. And then website is, you got to have a website with a really Mm -hmm. good trailer um, Mm -hmm. on it. So, I will sign off on Facebook being trash. I will save you from saying it, but I will say it. Uh, A lot of developers, of of course, we've had many on since uh, we've had Game Dev Unchained for the past three Mm -hmm. years, and a lot of them don't have Facebook, which is something I found very surprising until it made sense. Uh, Like you said, Facebook, you have all these people liking your product, and now you have to pay to show them your product. It's like, that's an extra layer of advertising that never existed before. It's like, once you have them, you should have them. But the mailing list, like you said, email, uh, you mentioned email, I'm sure. I would say email would probably be like my my first or second. But Twitter is definitely in the lead with that type of thing. I'm just still like kind of a little taken aback about the Facebook thing. It's like, hey, we're a tool for you know growing an audience. You can communicate with people who have said, I want to follow this. Like, this is the content I want to be part of. Yeah. But only ninety percent of those people are are going to be excluded from it because oh. Well, one more second on ranting on Facebook, right? Hey, one. I'm watching these like five second clips, anyways, and then there's advertising integrated within the five second clip. You guys are not getting it, anyways. That's it. The, the only thing I want to comment, my last question. User experience designers, yeah, exactly. go apply to Facebook. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my last question for you, Jeff, is of course, your team of two is basically a marriage, right? You guys have been together yeah. a so long was- time. How yeah. has that been? You guys like each other more or less? <laughs> it's, <totally laughs> it's a real question, man. It's a, it's yeah. a real it totally relationship. Is. Yeah. It is absolutely a second marriage, yeah. I sort of I joke about that with the person who's in my real marriage, my wife. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, you have to be like on really solid ground. It's it's just like a real marriage, you know. You have to know that person intimately, right? Uh, and you have to know that you can communicate really frankly and honestly with them because it's really making a game is really hard and it's really stressful, and you need to know like for better or worse. Uh, are we going to make it through this thing? So Steve and I get along fantastically well. Um, and it's not just like we get along, like we're buddies. It's on like a very deep level. Like we can, we can say what needs to be said and we don't need to uh, beat around the bush. So we don't offend each other easily, which I think is really important. Uh, 
because you have to feel comfortable being honest with your uh, development um, team or your development partner. Um, yeah, and I think it's, you know, I think one thing that's really important has been important for us is we just, we're both sort of like senior level devs. We have a lot of that, what I was saying before, professional experience. So we treat each other as professionals. We treat each other with a lot of respect um, because we're going to be working together for a long, we've been working on this game for almost five years, you know, on a day-to-day basis. So we can't deal with the indie game, the movie drama. If you've seen indie game, the movie, you just, you have to abolish all of that from your working relationship and just like, cause there's so little time to actually do your development work. So we're, we're doing great. Um, I hope to be able to make um, more games with them after this one. Yeah. Well, here's to another five years of uh, you, you guys yeah. working on games together. Uh, definitely excited to tell people about new, the distant light. It's been something that we've been in support of since you first showed it to us. So again, yeah. thank you for being a long standing pillar in helping us build this empire of, game development podcasting that we've been doing oh my uh, pleasure my for pleasure. sure like it's three times that i think we've worked with you so yeah you, we, you're definitely achievement unlocked you know <laughs> like you've i can't it. say you're my favorite because we we have more guests coming up. <laughs> one of my favorites obviously uh so jeff this is uh your platform now you any last words to kind of point people to we do have your twitter handle up for people who wants to follow you in the game great and uh yeah else, um, yeah yours. just yeah, thanks again for having me. Um, we're getting pretty close. We're we think we're going to be most likely launching the game early next year. Um, yeah, yeah, just honestly, like yeah, we're really excited. Um, following us on if you're interested in the game, following us on on Twitter or Facebook at a new the game uh, would be fantastic. If you like what you see, share our Twitter page with your friends and be like, hey, this looks cool. Because the grassroots marketing is is really incredibly helpful to us. And then we also have um, sort of an ongoing backer campaign on our website, which is a new anewthegame.com. It's sort of like an extended Kickstarter. So if you want to help pitch into our development, uh, it's it's sort of just like Kickstarter. If you donate, we're giving away, we'll give you copies of the game, the soundtrack, T-shirts, posters, uh, you can actually get um, into the private beta. And uh, there's other ways of sort of being involved in the development of the game. And that's at our, our website. And those are, that's it. Those are better backer rewards than my last Kickstarter. I got an email that said, sorry, go. we are we're, we're closing it down. <laughs> that's, <laughs> oh, that's not good. <laughs> oh, yes. Jeff, look, you know we wish you all the yep. best, man. So thank you for being here with us. Uh, we appreciate it. And we can't wait till early next year when we're playing your game. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it.